How's this show been since I uh, kind of fell off, fell off the map and shit? What have you been doing? I'll tell you how the show's been. Forget all this other stuff, all right? You people, you're fired, okay? I know I said this what was a fuck? co-op. I lied, all right? Oh, jeez. What the fuck, <laughs> I just got here. I just got back Listen, here. you can't change the typeface, okay? I, this is fucked up. You can't up. do it. You're all fired. You've given so all much. Right? Is, is, this, is this about my dual membership in the United Food and Commercial Workers, as well as the Podcasters Guild of America West? Listen. I knew that was going to come up. Listen, I just, I built this podcast in my living room, okay? In my living room. Do you understand what that means? Because I don't, but apparently it means something. Mm. You know how many free pictures of my ass I put on the internet for this? We worked hard for this. Honestly, possession of a living room in the podcast world is nine-tenths of the law. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's why podcasting is inherently bourgeois, is because you have to have a living room to do it. <laughs> well, listen, you don't like you it's don't not like it's an acoustic thing, you know? Like if you try to do it in literally anything else, including a sound booth, it's gonna sound wrong. Listen, I've seen you pile into a closet like an upside down jingle board in order to record a podcast. Where you the are early isn't days. all that important. Yeah. <laughs> where you where you are isn't all that important. One time Brandon recorded a podcast outside of a burnt down gas station. <laughs> that that actually is literally true. I've recorded a podcast while being attacked by bees. I've just done just done it all. Done it all. The sacrifices we make to bring you content every however many often we're doing this show. <laughs> April, you asked how the pod's been going, and aside from the fact that we're being run by a tyrant, I haven't really even been on it lately. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Kennedy, I support I support all of the mission. And you know, I like that a lot of the stuff that we're doing. Brandon is going to be the reason our union has a no-strike clause. I just think we're oh, a family, uh -huh. but I think that as a family, maybe once in a while, a different typeface would not, like, hurt our brand. Like, I think we can no, weather No that. typeface changes. Okay, listen, I need the green velvet suit. I need to be sipping lemonade on a southern porch. And I need one specific typeface, okay? You need the necktie with all of the question marks on it. This is this is enough. I'm going to be DMing you a card check, and uh, you're yeah. going to sign your name on that for Wait the union. And you're going to DM that to the next person. We're going to pass it around like that. Wait <laughs> a second. Now, I'm very, like I said, I'm very happy. We're all making the same amount of money here, and, and I've always been really comfortable with that. We're all making fucking nothing. <laughs> Listen, I just think that it's important that no one is in charge of Not Safe for Wonks. You know? That it has that kind of yeah. non-profit-y thing, vibe, not whatever. A not legally a non-profit, though. And, you know, like, no one's in charge by which, I mean, I'm in charge of everything. Well, you know, it's it's just that you happened to be the one who filed the paperwork and, you know, you took on all of the responsibility the second you signed it. So, you know, when the liability comes down to it, it's on you. Yeah, all of that limited liability is on my head. Okay. Yeah. So whatever happens, it's really I get it. Like you're <laughs> entitled to this, like legally. Yeah. Unfortunate. Unfortunately, unfortunately, legally, I would be entitled to this. I mean, if yeah, we that's weren't the joking. Thing. Yeah, that's the problem with this situation. It is <laughs> so difficult to start a co-op, like, at all. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. What stands out to me 
just about that entire situation is um like first of all we're all leaving out the fact that people like lost their jobs and got fired and are in financial turmoil and stuff like that and i feel like that has been removed from the discourse but even for the sake of removing it just to have discourse creative fulfillment is part of why we do this yeah i mean when it when it's who has editorial control over the masthead that actually is really important like because any of us can go anywhere else and get paid more a lot more actually a lot more we can all just leave and make more money <laughs> yeah the the wall street journal you know and wapo almost picked up my opinion piece entitled how hillary clinton would have totally girl bossed us out of the afghanistan situation by bombing the fuck out of them so mm. you know any day now i could just bandage ship <laughs> first of all i like that you're calling it quote unquote a situation that's really getting you an inside track on the wapo yeah. Publication for sure. See, you can tell I've been reading too many of those editorials. <laughs> the fracas, some might say. Rachel, what stands out? I mean, we're all friends with Lida. What stands out to you from this entire current affairs affair? Well, you know, as as y'all know, Lida and I talk behind the scenes semi-regularly. And, you know, I've been talking to her about this one. And it should not be surprising that they're not actually super worried about it because it literally was the entire team except for the one person who was already dead weight. So, you know, they're very hurt, clearly, that somebody they thought was their friend would just betray them like that. But in terms of their prospects, they've got a lot going for them. And I think everybody is actually pretty optimistic that they're going to be able to you know recover and get solid incomes back eventually uh, in the short term they're worried obviously and i would never want to downplay how scary it is to not know what your job is going to be and where you're going to get money from but in the long run there's a lot of optimism that's good at least you know they're all good people well, and I have nothing but faith in them. Like I said, it's every single person on the team except for one person who's really was dead weight. Hmm. Does Lida have a blue check mark? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. I, mean, I can check. If Lida doesn't have one, Lida's got one coming. All these blue check marks will ultimately be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And Lida, Lida's great. The episode that we did with her is one of my favorites. I really enjoy doing that. In fact, we can probably have her again once all this wears is off. Kennedy, any any feelings as a band, band leader, band player about creative dynamics here? Who owns a band? That's actually a great question. And, you know, a lot of times even bands do have this problem where it's like there is this person who started the band, quote unquote, or this person who, quote unquote, wrote most of the songs. Yeah. I mean, you I think know. a band is a perfect example of why this can't always work. Why one person owning things in certain cases is meaningless, right? Because a band is a gestalt thing. And anybody who's been in a band with a handful of like exceptions understands that it's a collaborative process, right? Like everybody is bringing their own unique perspectives and influences to a song that you're writing together. And in that sort of collective sharing and co-inspiring space, you end up coming up with things that are more impressive than any of you could have done, you know, by yourselves. It's what makes collaboration so fun and interesting. 
And listen, it's not to say that it's impossible for a band to have dead weight that you've got to do something about, right? Like sometimes yeah. you have somebody that's not contributing what they need to or something like that. And that is one situation. But when you are the only person left and your entire staff quit, there's an immense burden of proof that you have to provide that everyone else simply wasn't pulling their weight somehow. Right. And I think just on its face, anybody who's read Current Affairs knows the other writers were pulling their weight. Like, absolutely. there's absolutely no way that you could ever make that pitch. But I think at this point, like, even Nathan knows he did something that has fundamentally ruined his own career. And I think that when we talk about this kind of thing, when we talk about who's running things and who's in charge and whose creative footprints on it, once something gets to a certain size, it's not possible for one person's creative footprint to be it. You know, a magazine is much bigger than a band. A band records ultimately like 45 minutes of footage every two years. And like a bit that can be a band's output. A right. magazine. Well, but I don't think that's a fair characterization of what a band does because a lot of, of it comes from a... live performances right like there's sure sure but i think brandon's point holds up that there's there's the, like an yeah, aspect of, of just like so many hands and... so many hands necessary to make a certain kind of thing yeah, think right. of that as content syndication for us. Like the live show, think of that as, well, we have to print it on Facebook and it has to be on Twitter and it has to, it does have to be performed in front of an Yeah, no, design. live shows are really, they're a lot. They're physically a lot. They are emotionally a lot. Touring is difficult. Like that's the real work of being in a band is performing it over and over and over again. Writing the music and recording the music are the fun parts. The work is the shows. And that's because you get the money from selling merchandise at the shows. Like it has has to do with the way music industry itself is structured artists for the most part are not paid for their music they're paid for the merch they sell at shows yeah. okay well uh, i guess then it's not a good metaphor at all <laughs> you know I, i'm sorry to ruin the mystique. yeah no no listen you there's know there's a reason I, quit. I i i think of a publication as something that comes out once a week and a lot of people have to do it just physically yeah. a lot of people have to yeah. do it when i think of a band i think of it as four people but selling merchandise is also important like the road yeah. show is important yeah. doing the show itself is important so a band and a magazine if you say they're the same size of endeavor and it's really hard to be a creative voice like me as a person that listens yeah. to music i think of like paul mccartney and john lennon as the beatles and i think of their albums and as part of what they are but like if it's something else i don't know let's move on i mean it's, it's all it's both right. right like these things are all really labor intense all creative projects are labor intensive like i think we as a society really like to pretend that creativity is not work and i think this kind of ties into what you were saying brandon about trying to find work that's personally meaningful so that it doesn't feel like work or what the fuck ever you know people obfuscate that labor relationship in themselves even and with each other all the time I agree with you fundamentally, but I, I feel like we have to also talk about scale, though, because like a band is like a band yeah. is a quintessential like cottage core industry that can be run by like literally like a guy and a magazine is not that at all. And I really think it's important when we talk about the ability of someone to claim ownership of a project, I think it's even more tenuous when we start to talk about these much larger projects. And I think if a leftist heard this same speech from Elon Musk, we would instantly know it's bullshit. 
But yeah, because exactly. it's from Nathan J. Robinson, some people are kind of trying to give it the benefit of the doubt. But the thing is, is, it's the same kind of bullshit. Elon Musk is not the sole creator of these things. He buys companies and then thousands of people do the actual work to make these projects. And at that point, anyone stepping forward, even some engineer who did work really hard on the project, stepping forward and saying, this is mine, I did it all, is absurd. Yeah, yeah, you can't. Everything is a collective project, right? And I mean, even when you look into like, you know, you're using the band as an example, even if you're like booking your own shows, it's not like, you know, you're not using infrastructure other people created to get around, to participate in it, you know, to have a show to play in the first place and somebody maintaining a music venue, all of that stuff. Like humanity itself is a collaborative project. Yeah, how much of Prince is Prince? We could do this. Home. Well, listen. Maybe Prince isn't. Maybe it's whoever. The symbol is the only true Prince, actually. Sure. But no, okay, um, but like, no, Kennedy, you're talking about scaling, and I want to follow up on that one because I actually think uh, current affairs, in particular, falling apart is really instructive, and it's a really good example of somebody who espouses a very sort of hierarchical kind of socialism, a very sort of uh, I'm going to go ahead and say petit bourgeois type of socialism, who has always very clearly felt like he was intellectually superior to the people around him, and presumably superior in other ways as well, right? And when it came down to the moment to actually let it go and share it with people, he refused to let go of power. And I talk a lot lately, and I haven't been talking about it as much on the pod because I haven't been here, but I talk a lot lately about prefiguration, about having to start from the ground up with a cooperative vision and structure in order to actually successfully launch a co-op. If you build something in a hierarchical way, once that moment comes and the person on top of the hierarchy has to step down, there is a significant chance that even the most avowed socialists are going to just change their minds and not want to do it. And we've seen over and over again how socialist movements can be beheaded because of stuff like that. Current affairs, there must have been some small modicum of joy that they were getting out of making it, because anything that I'm making, I'm ready to give up. Let me tell you. Well, I mean, they were making money, right? Like, not a huge amount of money, but money, enough that they were all making, you know, 45 a year. And if you are Nathan J. Robinson, and you're looking at that, and it's, what, five people times 45? And you're thinking, oh, all of that could be mine. Like, he just, when it came down to it, he decided to be selfish. Yeah. And that's like exactly the thing that anarchists, you know, rail against so much, right? When you create a position of power like that, people start jockeying over it. You have to start without the power. Like you have to build the power collectively from the ground up. You can't do it with a hierarchy. As well, something that I've been seeing a lot of people doing, and I know Kennedy, you mentioned this, is that a lot of people are accepting just idiotic lines of reasoning from Nathan J. Robinson and his defenders that absolutely would not be tolerated if somebody like Jeff Bezos was saying them. I mean, this is sort of this idea of like a, a great man in control of everything. And it, he's, the, he's the one controlling it. And Nathan J. Robinson isn't even some sort of kind of socialist revolutionary. It just goes to show that there's some kinds of people that if you mask ideology, that if it were naked, they would entirely reject out of hand. If you mask it in sort of socialism, then they're fooled. There's a lot of people that have this ideology of sort of... In in fancier words, socialism is when the government does stuff. And this is what the stuff that they're going to do is with that power. There's going to be a lot of people like this, and there's going to be a lot of people that would defend these actions 
if there was a socialist fabric behind them. And as Rachel was saying, it really ties back to what anarchists have been critiquing about power, about Marxist ideals of power relations and the dictatorship of the proletariat. A lot of people have this ideology and are just willing to throw it away with the right dressing. Yeah, but there's also there's also something way more fragile at the core of this. I mean, I'm an anarchist too, and these critiques are fine. There's something way more fragile at the core of this, though, which is a nerdy white guy who could not handle the idea of being bossed around by someone cooler and yeah. perhaps you know more marginalized than him. Like we really need to we really need to talk about that too, because the reality of something like the workers' co-op wouldn't change that much in the day-to-day of current affairs. Realistically, they probably wouldn't even ask Nathan J. Robinson to, like, do more shit. You know what I mean? Like, if he really was, like, not quite pulling his weight or whatever around there, like, if he really was, like, sort of, like, sometimes, like, the the least reliable employee or whatever, they probably wouldn't have even given a shit and just let him keep doing whatever he wanted. But what would have happened if it had become a co-op is they would have elected leadership. And he would have lost that election. Yes. Maybe not the yes. first time, but eventually for sure, because yep. way cooler people already work there. And if it was turned into a co-op, the staff's probably just going to get cooler over time. And like, homie, you are like a weird, you look like that time Cartman dressed up as a plantation owner in South Park. To critique sports. Oh Jesus. my god. We're doing dunks, I'm ready. Nathan J. Robinson, you are not a philosopher king. You're some weird incel who dresses like Willy Wonka. I mean, you know, if we're talking about union busters, you could reasonably transport him back to New Orleans in 1910. He'd do the same thing and wear the same outfit, and it worked perfectly fine. Y'all remember that one episode of Red Clay we did a million years ago about how I accidentally fell in love with the guy who cosplays Victorian era at all times? This was a million years ago. This is a deep cut reference. Yeah, I did. Of course. Whoa. I do remember that guy. And I keep thinking well. of him and I keep wondering what happened to him. And it occurs to me now that his one true love is not me, but Nathan J. Robinson. Mm-hmm. Listen, if, if, if we can't have an ethical non-monogamy episode of Current Affairs, what can we have? <laughs> you know, maybe that's the real problem at current affairs is that they weren't in a polycule. Damn. Because we have established that not safe media is just a polycule. I mean, I don't you know. know if we've established that, actually. <laughs> you know. No, it's a legal requirement before you join the co-op. If you join the co-op, you are joining the polycule by default. Yeah. There's, there's a whole complicated set of paperwork. Yeah. yeah, and there's a really complicated onboarding process. And Brandon, you're grandfathered in, so it doesn't matter. I thought that this was a family and no one was in charge, and now I'm disillusioned. <laughs> um, it's actually a cult and jared yeah. jared leno is about to come out from behind the curtain he's been running not safe media this whole time um i can't believe this the rules are different on the coasts though for me and kennedy because me and kennedy are under the podcasters guild of america west and you guys are podcasters guild of america east and i think oh. they have different polycule restrictions yeah well you know there's still a lot of homophobia out here yeah. and I hate to say it, but, you know, people are really more conservative. So it's like they do have polycules, but it's a low poly saturation point. You can only have like two. Listen, they're not all the way there yet, but they are trying to get woke. They gave Rachel that award before they'd even finished the first episode. It was just... (laughs) 
And they really are doing what is most important, which of course is that is centering white women's feelings. Change will come, Rachel. <laughs> Change will come. Listen, Podcaster Guild's we- Guild West is not perfect, y'all. Okay. I keep telling Brandon to consider moving out here, but he doesn't want to do it because he would have to get gay. Yeah. Yeah, listen, it's legally listen. required now. Yeah, listen, that's fair. Ever, ever since ever since they put Jen Perelman into Podcasters Guild East, it's been going downhill anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe you should think about jumping ship. Maybe I should fucking transfer. Have you guys seen this thing? StreamYard ain't for ain't easy. It ain't for everybody. This thing was a huge disaster. You know, Jen's got Ooh. a show. Everybody's got a show nowadays. I'm not ac- adequately prepared for this, so you're going to get my, my live reactions to this Jen Perlman debacle, which I think will be oh very funny. Oh my gosh. So Jen Perlman, never a candidate that we chose to platform in particular. We didn't have like a serious problem with her. I don't want to say that we knew something. Yeah, we talked to yeah. the team like, hey, you should come on. Because Jen's been on every show. So we're like, should we get Jen on? And we've had like normal human conversations. And we're also in a couple DM groups together or whatever. Well, not anymore, because I blocked her. You know, I yeah. can say this, because I'm I'm all of the same things she is, right? Except, I don't know no, if she's Jewish. No. But anyway, listen, I am, in the grand scale of marginalization, I can punch up at her. And frankly, she was just another white liberal lady. Like, she wasn't particularly remarkable. I don't think even any of the shit she did was particularly unusual among white liberal women. Like, she's a white feminist, y'all. Like, she's Ed Healthcare. Yeah, exactly. She's like the fucking L older millennial white lib like i don't want to i don't want to go into vague statements that are essentializing let's talk about what the show was and what happened and what was said and then we can go into breaking down the juice of it because people are talking about the part that happens at one hour when jay has lost his shit and is blowing up at her but really i think the conversation goes downhill much sooner than that and you have to have the extra context because they had run over so many boundaries by the time that we got into that point that if you just look at it at the hour mark it's like boy these podcasters are very theatrical why are they so dramatic and like the drama really started building when i mean failure to empathize failure to vibe jen's yeah. talking about some personal reform that she'd come on the show to have and talk about some new york health act and she was talking about problems passing the pro act and uh dealing with unions and liberal tendencies right. and unions and electoral politics and it was honestly it's like this woman laughing to herself and her friend over a dinner party conversation in the inner circles of the democratic party and i know jen certainly doesn't think of herself as in the inner circles of the democratic party they probably hate her guts down there but that is th- those are the conversations that you have even when you're on the outside of the inner circles and there was just no human light going on on her guests because there was just a failure to synchronize the small talk with the interests of the guests yeah well i think you know and i already stated my central thesis which is she is a normal upper middle class white woman uh, which is exactly the problem right like and to be clear normal is bad right normal is very destructive and racist actually but i think to her she really thinks of like inclusivity as a checklist right as like something that you can be handed and say okay we've done this 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 and this we're inclusive right and she thinks of like anti-racism as a series of policies that you're supposed to support as opposed to like a 
the kind of relationship you have with the black community as a white person. I would take it further than that. No, no, no. Anti-racism is a philosophy and a practice. Like, Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, okay, when I say relationship, I'm talking about like a very grand sense of relationship. It's like how you engage with the idea of Black people. It's what you are doing in solidarity with Black people. It is the time you are giving to Black Like it's a big, giant, just perspective type of thing. It's a way of engaging mm. with the world. I don't see in Jin's actions here like a benign neglect of human relationships. I think that she aggressively looked to co-opt him and browbeat him into agreement with her perform yes. preferred form of, of action once she was challenged. And despite the fact that he often offered her big marks or leafs or whatever you want to move the conversation mm -hmm. along, where he was like, hey, maybe electoralism shouldn't be 80% of what we do. There was just over and over, whether he talked about his uninterest in the PRO Act or his, you know, and by the way, people listening to this, an activist that just does media for Black people reach for the PRO Act when discussing white interests that are irrelevant to his community might be something that you guys could take away as interesting. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, mm -hmm. this, this guy, you know, is talking over and over again about his uninterest or inability to emotionally connect with what is being offered here. And at that point, first of all, if you're really a congressional level leader of the movement, supposed to be our face that markets what we believe to others, the idea that you have not spoken enough to people who are distrustful of government or have lost faith in our system enough that you can respond to them in an emotionally healthy way, despite having run for Congress and now having run for Congress are now like you're being a private citizen or whatever, being a podcaster. This should yeah. actually be like empathizing with people who've lost relatives should actually be easier for you and not harder. Yeah, and when we talk yeah. about this not being benign, we need to take it even further than that because there is a very insidious way that this went down that needs to be addressed. Like, yes, this is a moment of a white person being an idiot, putting their foot in their mouth, whatever. That happens every day on YouTube. It's not always this notable. But, like, this was a lot more extreme in terms of the attitude that Jen and her co-host, I think his name is Paul or Peter, some Peter, white guy name and, like that. Yeah, uh, it doesn't matter. Something waspy and white, like yeah, he's just obviously got super dork bag politics. So it doesn't. I'm not gonna try to figure out anything about him. But the thing is, is they came to it with a bad attitude. Yes, they absolutely. came to it with the attitude that we don't trust these people. We gotta watch out. They're gonna mess with us. Blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. All this shit from the beginning. First of all, that's racism. Second of all, also, like, Jen lured these folks into a trap. She lured Jay into a trap. And if you've ever spoken to Jay, and I did a three-hour-plus show with Jay recently. Yeah. If you've ever spoken with Jay, he's a very reasonable person. If he didn't freak out when Chris and I were hanging out with him for three and a half hours in the heat with his air conditioning not working very good, you know... Like, he's a yeah. mellow guy. Yeah. <laughs> targeted at this shit, interacting with white people are always fucking mellow guys. Because, honestly, people wouldn't even, wouldn't even be fucking on the fucking air with Jen Perelman to begin with. Like, this is the most tolerant that you're going to get from a guy that's willing to talk to you for an hour, honestly.
Yeah. Well, and I think like the reason I keep saying this is normal, not good, but normal is because I think this is such a perfect like it's it's a microcosm of exactly why people have a problem with white women. Right. She does all of the things immediately. So, you know, she's she's brought him on in a tokenizing way so that she can try to perform persuading him that he's wrong with his entire like worldview or whatever. And that's, you know, she's coming into it thinking of him as an object of her own, you know, satisfaction. Action, right? And he's trying to like get out of it repeatedly. She's either, you know, intentionally or cynically pushing him because she feels entitled to control. Like it's it's all of the things. It's her lack of empathy. It's all of them, right? And it perfectly encapsulates exactly why people don't trust us, you know? I got a bold. It's like the platonic ideal of a white woman stepping all over a black person. I don't know if it's the platonic ideal, but, <laughs> but listen, you know, yeah. hyper hyperbole is entertaining. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Listen, the thing that stands out to me just more than anything else, maybe this is too bold of a statement for some of y'all, just the revolution's not going to have Jen Perelman and it doesn't need her. Like, not, like if nope. you're saying that's normal, we got to get abnormal because that's not going to help anybody that like anybody who's, who's feeling that. When we talk about, hey, you might not get your way 100% of the time. Hey, you might get your way just 80% of the time. Hey, it might not be 80%. Hey, I might not share your priorities. Hey, I might talk about a different approach to fixing this shit than you are. Especially when it's on your platform. You know, Jen reaches for, you know, my viewers know me from my congressional run. Your viewers, you're right. They already do know you. So what is your incentive to, like, colonize the inside of this guy's brain to stop the conversation the interview with this guy? Like, does everybody you have onto their show, do you stop the show and force all of your guests to agree with you? Probably not. On your theory of change? I mean, let's be real, right? Like, I don't think it ever even occurred to her that she wasn't going to win the argument. Like, I think she just authentically assumes she has the best ideas because nobody's ever told her she's full of shit. And I think also, in addition to that being like a white people thing, that's also a libs thing. Any yep. black person that's on the left that's talked about any sort of criminal justice, like we can we can reach your criminal justice source, we can say education, healthcare, anything. It involves some 50-year-old going, well, what's your solution? What's your solution? I went to rub elbows with such and such, and they said, you've got to get this many votes and we've got to get approval for the parliamentarian. There's always a, some bar of organizational realism that conservatives have. Oh, yeah. Well, and liberals love to hide their racism behind bureaucratic hurdles. Yeah, and sometimes they're liberals, and sometimes they're leftists, and sometimes they're moderates. And, and one of the reasons why it's hard to do shit with white people is because you always run into this across the fucking ideological spectrum, whether they're talking about Medicare or not. This fucking happens all the time. So when, when you guys talk about why can't Medicare be enough to fucking get everybody on board, it's because when you talk to somebody that says they're from Medicare, the fucking conversation ends up going like that. That's why. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's not participating in good faith, you know? No. There's just a lot of bad faith in this whole thing. I also want to, like, just take a second and empathize with Jay, right? Because he said during this interview that somebody he loves died, like, a week ago, right? Somebody he had known since he was four years old, his cousin. Yeah. And the fact that even in that moment, she, like, he was clearly expressing this tremendous grief, right? And she, like, just did not even notice it. 
because he's talking about urgency. Like, yeah. you've got to have the backstory. Like, if you watch this at the hour mark, then the context of it is that this guy is just having an outburst. And he's just reaching for something that makes him, that, like, will stir up emotion in the room. If you understand, like, the context of why he brought that up, it's because these guys have been talking about, like, dinner parties and state assemblies. And, boy, we've got to find the next AOC. And this is a guy that's telling you, like, dude, I am past that. My life is reached a level of urgency that I'm looking for the exits. And so when you say, hey, what's your course of action? And hey, his course of action might not even be fucking realistic. Let's do a podcast about a general strike. I don't know. You might listen to that and be like, well, we're not going to have one. So what's all that going to be? Forget about your fucking policy goals. That's the number one one takeaway from that conversation. Like if somebody's talking about fucking real human emotional pain that they're dealing with, stop thinking about what's going to fucking make you individually fucking more powerful what bill you're going to promote to get credit for, who you can get to sign on for your fucking mailing list, how many viewers are going to watch this, which party flack is going to see this and pass it along to their friends and say, Jen doesn't really support the party. Like, if you are not reaching the fucking level one of, I understand the fucking stakes of the moment and not follow it up with a, and therefore you agree with me and need to give me power. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, stop trying to fucking spin black people's grief. Stop trying to spin it into something you can use to get your ideas pushed through the electoral systems. Stop it. Stop trying to, stop trying to fucking optimize that shit, man. And this, that conversation could have been like an hour, like 15 minutes ago, could have been like, hey, you know, I'm running for Congress. I know I talk to people all the time who don't see hope in this shit, but I try to because, hey, bit by bit, we can do small things that, that do make an impact and help somebody for the better and i doubt yeah. that this guy would have spent the next 15 minutes shitting on you had you said that it's just that you were in such a rush to invalidate this guy's worldview and put him under your fucking boot and you know make him do promo for you in the small time that he was there when you clearly hadn't built a relationship because the guy didn't even watch your fucking show or know who you were this is the kind of person that's we're supposed to trust when she says that, you know, not all hope is lost in electoralism. We can still get some things done. Yes. I'm not even entirely against the idea of electoralism as harm reduction normally, but this isn't almost enough to make me just be like, I'm done watching some shit like this. It's exactly why. It is a perfect fucking microcosm of exactly why people don't trust electoral people and exactly why people don't trust white women running for office. It is exactly why. If you could distill the entire, like I said, the fucking platonic ideal of white women running for Congress as white feminists down into a single fucking interaction, it is this. Jen, you are the problem. I'm sorry. I know that hurts your feelings. I know you want to believe you got ambushed. You pushed somebody about somebody you they love dying. Them. I want no, I want to be clear. You ambushed them. You ambushed Jay and Afini. There's no question in my mind. All of us are fucking posters. All of us know what a fucking ambush shit post interview guest is. Literally, all yeah. of us know when a guest comes on and they're yeah. literally just there to make trouble. Like 100% of us know when that is the case. And no matter who that guest had been, whether it had been fucking Compton J or fucking anybody, would have been like, hey, you know, Compton J, you know, all for the cause. But, you know, he's a bomb thrower. And, you know, he wanted to get on that Jen Perelman show, let her audience know what was up. This was not that kind of 
situation and it's so much not that situation that I can't say that it shows that Jen doesn't know anything about interviews because I can see Jen's skill at interviewing based on the fact that she did this fucking interview and it wasn't good. So I can't even read I can't even read that much into it but just as a fact they did not go on there to get a look at how fucking bored those people looked. A black person that goes into a room looking for drama is fucking hyped to do it because they are there to fucking throw down and get a W in a conversation. Go read Jay and Afeni's faces. They are not connecting with this shit because it's not real like it's not from the real world to them and they say that out loud. They vocalize their feelings about the conversation. Mm -hmm. Afeni is clearly making the can we please change the topic face. Yes. Like that is not someone who's there to troll you. She is like please can we get out of this. Like, be real about, and and here's how you really know that Jen and her fucking whatever co-host, Patrick, you know, whatever that guy's I name is. I expect to go in uh, on them like this, but it's, it's we have really you. the video. The video is that bad. Well, here's here's part of what makes it so bad, too. These two, and this is the proof, again, that they ambushed Jay and Afeni, not the other way around. They go on for another hour after kicking Jay and Afeni off the show, just saying the most horrible stuff. If we had a show go wrong like that, we we brought some guests on. First of all, and you, it got, you delete the show immediately after, and you cuss us all out. Yes. Especially because I'm in charge of this. Don't forget. <laughs> you did do the coup. It is, it is important. I mean, the truth is Kennedy is the leader for sure. And we all know no, it, right? No, that's, no, that's not true. If Kennedy's the Red Wings, no, the White Kennedy Rangers. is the disciplinarian because they make it sexy. Yes, Kennedy, will, Kennedy, Kennedy is the parliamentarian. Jokes aside, no, I've had Kennedy yell at me. It sucks. <laughs> yes, Kennedy is the theater manager when we are not standing on the right spot. Kennedy does do like we're supposed to you're supposed to stand counterclockwise but we Straight honestly up, Kennedy would all... fire us on the spot like Kennedy the, has firing know. power and would fire us for it <laughs> theater manager is a good way to put it uh-huh. um but yeah, yeah uh so yeah if we had a show like that we'd take it off the air I probably would yell at everybody yeah. Be like, why Why the fuck did we let that interview go so wrong? We got to yeah. talk about this. We're having a meeting about this on Saturday to yeah. discuss how to never do this again. Like that. Right. Something Hopefully like Jen that. Carolman is having um, that meeting right now as we speak and is listening to this episode. Yeah, but she needed to have it immediately. And what she did was stream for another hour, make it all about herself, which it was clear that the whole problem was that, you know, these people didn't care about her enough. That, you know, you know Jay and Afeni weren't just immediately deferent to her like she's used to people just coming onto her show just oh my god i'm i'm hanging out with jen perlman like yeah fuck you lady um yeah so, right so so she goes they, they go on for another hour and it's mostly her just ranting she won't even let her let the, her fucking weirdo dude talk and There's no there is no black person that will ever watch that and not be like i've had that interaction with white people Oh, for yeah. sure. Because it's normal. Because white women are usually self-important and usually aggrieved and usually seeing themselves as the victims. And it's so revealing at that point because she's literally dropping dog whistles. She's yes. literally dropping dog whistles. And so if you didn't have the sense to turn your fucking camera off, then you are not only not a leader, but you can't come back to me and be like, I've learned from this anytime soon. I no. do not trust you, period. Oh my my god that's horrifying i don't know anybody in this business who would do that do you know anybody any of our colleagues who would do even some that we don't like a lot do you know any of our colleagues who would do that first of all first of all 
all of us know each other. When Jay said that Jay does not watch Jen Perlman's show, I fully, like, we don't all, fucking breaking news, yeah. dude, we don't all li- watch each other's shows. We don't have but the fucking we, time, yeah. we're busy making them. Yeah, no, we make, we make our fucking own shows. And also, we already know each other's opinions because we talk behind the scenes, like. Yes, we yeah. all know of each other. It's not like Compton Jay does not know who Jen Perlman is. But also, Jen Perlman, especially if, if she's at all competent in the show, and if it turns out that we find out somehow that she doesn't know who Compton Jay is, then that would make her completely incompetent. We'd be having a new discussion. But just Compton Jay is a left-wing media personality. We know who Jay is, even if we don't watch every line of Jay's show. This was not like an issue of Jay doesn't know the content of we all do similar content first of all like you know it's not like oh boy Compton like it sounds so ridiculous just on its face just saying it out loud Compton Jay just wasn't equipped to go on Jen Perlman's stream yard have you never watched his show what the heck like even if you haven't ah that's Jen has a slightly nicer set and that's fucking literally it they're we're just all on webcam talking I think whether he watches the show or not is kind of irrelevant because that's not why she brought it up. Right. She was doing a deflection technique that white women love to do. And this goes back to me saying they think anti-racism is a checklist. And the first one is always people who know me in the larger context know I'm not racist already with the implied, therefore you should trust me. Nope, I'm gonna. I'm yeah. just gonna jump in right here and say, on behalf of white folks, for white folks, white folks, you gotta prove yourself in every interaction. That's how it works. This country is too fucked up. We cannot take anything. Nobody could take that shit for granted in a country with this much racial violence and injustice. What the hell are you thinking? People can take that for granted. You think way too much of yourself. Yes, extremely. So that's the first thing. And then it's also like a list of things she supports, like ideologies that she agrees with. But it's all the same deflection tactic. All of it is to avoid actually engaging with what Jay was just saying. First of all, big, not just lib stuff, not just white, but big, do you know who I am vibes? Like the name Jen Perelman is synonymous with electoral politics in America. And like, bitch, nobody knows who you are. You are a God. micro celebrity in a niche field. No one fucking knows you. Get over yourself. First of all, you don't even have that much more followers than Compton J. No, the, the, I fucking was the, so the man has that. plenty of followers. Okay, oh, you God. you don't. So even approaching it just from like the raw numbers or something like that, that doesn't make sense. Second of all, if you you're gonna say that Compton J should know who you are, but you don't really have to know who he is. Your priorities of organizational leadership are fucked. Yeah, well, because white white supremacy imbues white people with an unearned sense of importance. Now, listen, I do, before someone could clip this out and go, boy, you know, podcaster v. organizer, Dawn of Justice. Listen, you guys understand, we have all literally worked for congressional and city council and et cetera, et cetera campaigns. Just because someone has a fucking graphic suite that they got made for like $200 on fucking Upwork does not mean that they are, number one, a mentally competent, smart, organized professional, does not mean that they have deep roots to the community, doesn't mean they don't, it just means they have, like, when you see a logo, just means they have a logo, dude. 
the trick is that anybody can run for office if they put in a little bit of effort. Anyone can make it seem yeah. like they're a real candidate. Not everybody can win, but everybody can make it seem like they're a real candidate. Literally anyone here on this podcast can credibly run for city council based on our organizing experience and our connections to other organizers and stuff. Like, I mean, yeah, <laughs> but we're not going to run for city council because no. I'm here to announce today that we're all running for Senate in our plus 30 districts. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All of this Hell is yeah. to say that while you listening to this might have the instinct to roll our eyes when we say, oh, Jim. Jim Perelman is not that much bigger than Compton J, but also Jim Perelman is not that much bigger than Compton J. If at all. Not in a way that matters. Not in a way that one of them needs to be grateful to be on the other person's show to such yeah. degree that they need to agree with their political planks and the host can't just move on and have grace and talk about things that the guest is excited about, which is what you're supposed to do when you're a host of a show. If I'm sitting here and we're talking about the PRO Act, first of all, this is some shit that would never happen because I, as a black person, have literally am in DSA and I've workshopped the PRO Act with black activists and it's polite but not really really like enthused and so i don't talk to fucking people who are in this shit about shit that doesn't set their soul on fire because that's what motivates people who are in really bad situations to do all this shit i was gonna say it that gulf that you're describing of like going on someone's show who's so much bigger than you that you should like really take it seriously and maybe be willing to like bite your tongue a little does not exist in left media like there is no show big enough for anyone on the left to feel like they have to do that do i have to be grateful to be there yeah, like yeah. there is no personality in left media that is such a fucking big, actually big deal. <laughs> that I can't tell you what the fuck. I want to wait before I, we even come back to that. Save that in your head. But I want to say, yeah, I never would have made that mistake. I would have been fucking embarrassed to talk about the fucking pro act with Compton J. But with just most folks, unless I know that they're fucking in DSA and worked on the pro act this year or interacted with it. If I have a guest on, I'm thinking about why are they here? What makes them excited that's why we fucking do good interviews we don't go in there with some bulletin board of what we give a shit about we're just regular ass people we have a guest on we literally spend our research we spend literally like an hour what does our guest what would they really be excited to talk about what are they cussing about what are they giving big speeches about what did they go viral about because when they're here their family olive garden when they're here their family when they're here the <laughs> shit that they the, that they want to talk about is important to us they're not just fucking tools that we're using to get fucking promo off of that's why right. there are people who are more famous that we could probably have on more often but like sometimes we're like boy that sounds like they're going through fucking hell and we don't want to have them invited or whatever yeah that's that's my point but anyway if we if we're on the young turks or chapo or anywhere else we tell them where to i shove will it. shit on chapo in their own bed i don't care absolutely good great yeah, especially if they did not you know i wouldn't go there to troll chapo I wouldn't go same, yeah. in the same way that Jay didn't go there to troll Jen. I would have a good would, faith conversation. I would with go anybody. there have a good faith conversation, but if they if they talk that kind of shit, I would absolutely freak out on that same level. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Chapo Chapo would never be as fucking boring as Jen Perelman, just because they're all <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> but For let's sure. say that they 
Yeah, but let's say that, and also I think they get an undue rap for this that they don't actually deserve. I think that Chaco is a show that mostly stays in their quote-unquote lane, and lots of people occupy that lane, and they have a lot of money from it, but it's hard to fault them. But, that being said, let's say that they were just being huge dicks, or doing like that one episode where they were like, abolition, kind of cringe, uh, black people love cops, you know, I'm not just gonna be, boy, I'm so happy to be on Chapo. I don't want anybody to, you know, Matt Taibbi wrote a really good article in 2006 when I was a kid, and he can't be wrong about anything. Like, access is all fun, and we're, we, we have enough of a podcast that we we can all hang out with Eve Six or whatever when we really want to. But also, once you monetize that and make it your life, like we've looked into the fucking eye of Sauron, none of those people are happy. It fucking destroys your soul. It's miserable, yeah. Well, and it's because so many people in that community are so fucking miserable. Like, I mean, big surprise, a an industry dominated by white dudes is full of a lot of toxic shit. Dang, this circles back to the first conversation, huh? Yeah, no, this is, <laughs> you know? this is, no, for sure. And I think all of this is the same conversation. All of us, I don't think this show is ever going away. It may morph or it may scale up or might scale down based on where we are in life. But I think all of us both want the same things in terms of like the world and the future. And uh, we all are really fucking going through it. We're not fancy lads here fucking playing with muffins and trench coats. Um, we're fucking really doing it. So we all want to make it out of here alive with our mental health, with our friends, with our families. And just life is just so hard that just none of us have been able to really do it. I mean, like literally all like God. But because of that, we know fucking life is precious. It's more precious than clout, man. People who are chasing clout or chasing some whatever at a time like this, man, Treat those people with real suspicion because as times get fucking weirder and darker, fucking look for fucking real human beings. They're fucking hard to find, but they are out there. Uh, I disagree with all of that. The show is ending. Stay tuned for my next project, which will definitely be a worker co-op for sure this time and not a trick like this one. Kennedy, you've been following <laughs> a lot of... I've seen them following just tons of people on Twitter the last couple weeks. And I thought, oh, Kennedy, they're just expanding. Turns out, you were getting a little bit ready for this, I think. <laughs> Gonna start sending those you up DMs to light a gold. I mean, listen, if y'all think I haven't already tried to do something with that, you're out of your minds. Of course I've talked to her about that. <laughs> because at the end of the day... At the end of the day, like, Light is awesome. Light is the kind of person I want leading our movements yeah. and working with us. You know, she actually understands how pointless and stupid it is to know theory because she knows. It. And it's like this crucial thing. Like, if you really understand theory, you understand that theory is it's the fucking ether. It doesn't mean anything without physically doing things. That's right. You have to do it. And that's why, you know, you're in the market for a new girlfriend. Lydas could get her down to Atlanta and just tell her, tell her you have to do it. And then she does it. Is this a sexual harassment joke? <laughs> no. Well, she doesn't. No, it's a co-op. So she like in terms of gotcha, workplace gotcha. relations, she doesn't have to do it because it's just it's a co-op. But just but she has of, to join the polycule to get the health benefits like we were talking yeah, about. But, emo but emotionally, mm -hmm. but emotionally, she has to do it. Listen, I don't, I know we're a polycule, but I like to keep it a strictly professional polycule. We're a queer platonic polycule. Oh my god. This is the literal platonic ideal of a white woman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, yeah, we're out. Thank um, you to the platonic ideal of us. We are here. not safe for wonks. At NSF wonks.
on Twitter. Go be the platonic listener and follow us there. Go to patreon.com slash not safe and give us money. Hell yeah. Oh, I got a thing I got to mention, too. We, Brandon, and I are running for steering committee of Atlanta DSA, which is now big enough for that to actually mean something. And if y'all want to, if you happen to be an Atlanta person and in ATL DSA, check out mosaic.vote. That's where we're sort of building our power to start with. Uh, We're going to try and make that run for next month. And I would really like to prove to these people that, no, actually, you can podcast and organize at the same time. Because they're so... snooty about it and i don't yeah, like listen. snooty people and also they're all from fucking new york and this is atlanta we should be in charge of ourselves Rachel. thank you <laughs> this show is lola bunny giving an alley-oop Dwayne wade style to lebron james getting the gift just no matter how much time passes it just feels good to watch it's something you can bring your whole family to each and every time we're just that good and it's good to be here so for all of the OG3 and April, this is not safe for wonks. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye.